Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and trusting that your uh, holidays were good. How many, by show of hand, you actually left L.A.? Yeah? Oh, most, yeah. That's what happens. It's because nobody actually lives is from L.A. Everybody is from somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. We loved, uh, I had, uh, we, Marinelle and I had a great Christmas, great New Year. Highlight, probably, uh, you know, I don't know, last Sunday, the Cowboys clinch in a place in the playoffs. <laughs> so, 49ers are number one right now in our, in our NFC. Um, and if you're a fan here of the 49ers today, just be quiet. I'm, I'm not a San Francisco 49er fan. Um, we, the last two years, they've booted us out of the playoffs, uh, the Cowboys. And so, yeah. Very disappointing. They've got five Super Bowls, 49ers do. We've got five. They've got seven NFC championships, and we have eight. Now what? Where's, no, no clapping, no clapping, no clapping. So here's, here's why I'm bringing it up, because there's one, there's one memory that I have and any uh, Cowboys fans have, 49ers probably too, it was 1981. It was the NFC playoffs in 1981, Dallas Cowboys versus the San Francisco 49ers. The winner was going to go to the Super Bowl. And we are ahead in this game in the fourth quarter, 27 to 21. And then Montana spawned from hell. I'm kidding. That's a little strong, huh, on a Sunday morning? Charges down the field, and with 50-some-odd seconds to go, he backs up. He's in the, I could, does anybody remember this? He's in the pocket. He runs outside because our guy, Tutal Jones, is chasing him down. He's about to go out of bounds. He doesn't go out of bounds. He throws up what looks almost like a Hail Mary, even though he's you know, only 10 yards away from the field goal. And people said that he was just trying to get rid of it so he didn't get tackled or out of bounds. But no, because in the back of the end zone, Mr. Dwight Clark uh, jumps up like 17 feet in the air and grabs the ball and comes down with it for a, yeah, there it is right there. There it is right there. They, in fact, this is referred to in the NFL as the catch. The catch. And they ended up winning. The, please take that down now. We had it up there long enough. Gee. Hey. This, this is why we have volunteers. They're like, you don't pay me. I put up whatever I want to put up there. <laughs> You're bad. You're bad. So they, uh, they won the game. It was, and this is my point, after the game, Tex Schramm, who was general manager for the Cowboys, he was being interviewed, and he said, well, they asked him what happened. And then he said this. He goes, here's what happened. The San Francisco 49ers came out to win today, and we, the Dallas Cowboys, we came out try not to lose. And I thought, that is a profound statement. And now we're in 2024. So we, we, we're coming to win this year. Don't worry about it. We're coming to win this year. My, my thought was this. How are we approaching 2024? How are we approaching 2024? Are you approaching 
this coming year, and your mindset is a mindset of, you know what? Things are going to be advanced. There's going to be achievements. I'm going to grow deeper in my relationship with God. I'm going to be more committed in my mission. Things are going to change in my life for the good. I'm going after some things in 2024. Or are we going into it? We've rolled into it. We're just like, I just hope I don't screw things up. And I'm trying not to lose. Are you going for or are you just trying not to lose? I want to encourage you. Go for. Why? Because God is for us. That's the series that we're starting this Sunday. God is for us. Each week we're going to be looking at different biblical characters that we have in the Bible who are men and women who have, who have had a season where they ran from God for whatever reason. We run for reasons from God we, because of failures, mistakes, hurt, pain, shame, and we can tend to run from God. But we have a God who runs after us because he is for us. And so we're going to look at different characters over these next uh, five weeks in this God for us. And today I want to start with the character of Gideon. Gideon. If you're not familiar with Gideon, he is a character in the Old Testament book of Judges. And he's a part of the tribe of Israel. Israel has been scattered and split up. And just a little backstory: he uh, and the rest of Israel are being severely oppressed by this people called the Midianites. There's others, the Amorites and stuff, but the Midianites, they're like a swarm. They're like locusts that come in on Israel's properties and possessions and just ravage their land. And it's put the people of Israel in gross fear and hiding. And so here's, here's, here's just an example. Judges chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says, they, meaning the Midianites, they came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So we see these were difficult times for God's people. Now, here's the thing. We also are going to see a reason why these were difficult times for God's people. God speaks to them through a prophet. And he says this, this is what the Lord, Judges chapter 6, verse 8, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. He says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand <clears throat> of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Israel had repeatedly been warned by God not to worship false gods. But what we see them constantly do is they get swallowed up by the culture they're in, and before too long, they're worshiping at the altar of Baal and at what was called the pole of Asherah. Asherah was known as this false deity who was the goddess of fertility. That brought along a lot of weird stuff. I won't go into it tonight or this morning either. See, I caught that real quick. She was known, she's said to have, uh, you know, given birth to 70 different false deities. One of those deities was Baal. 
Baal was the god associated with agriculture, the, the god of rain. And so they were, they, were, they were very dependent upon Baal through their sacrifices and their worship for them, their livelihood to be sustained, whether it's their crops or agriculture. And then, of course, in times where there were plagues or famines or pestilence or whatever and their harvest did not come in, they would be known to do even human sacrifices in order to appease this false god. And the true god, the one god, there's always counterfeit to something that is real, but they have nothing to do with these false gods of your culture. It doesn't go well for you when you do that. He wants to rescue them from their oppressors, right? This is how he does it in the story that we're looking at today, and I think we can see some some symbols of how he wants to do it in our life too. So he sees Israel, they're oppressed, but he's like, look what you've done. You've you've went into into bed with a neighbor. You're you're committing adultery against God. You're you're worshiping these false deities. And so he calls this young man whose name is Gideon. And Gideon is, at this time when God shows up through what is called the angel of the Lord, Gideon is hiding. He's fearful. They're living in fear because of their oppressor. Some people here today are living with fear because of the oppression you face, whatever that is. And so here he is in total fear. He's hiding at a wine press. And he's trying to, in secret, make some wine for him and his family because if he does it in the daylight or out in the open or at the main ones, he's afraid he's, it's going to get stolen from him and he might get killed. So he's afraid, he's scared, he's timid like this. And then all of a sudden it says this in, Ju- in Judges chapter 6. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon was like, Shh. <laughs> what part of me hiding don't you get? And by what do we mean? Who are you talking to, mighty warrior? What do you mean? What do you, how did you call me a mighty warrior? I'm literally afraid and hiding for my life. That's how he felt right there. Here's the big question I want you to look at today. Because God had a plan for Gideon. We're going to see this unfold. God has an intention for you. He has plans for you. How do I, how do you merge this year with God's intentions? So we don't go with that, man, that, where'd, that, where'd 24 go? Next year, you know, whew, it just blew by. No, now right here at the precipice. How do I merge with what God has planned for me? Because personally, that's, that's what I want to do, and that's what I'm jealous for you as well. Number one, write this down if you're taking outline or you're taking notes, if you have the outline, accept your God-given identity. That's number one. Accept your God-given identity. Gideon had a hard time believing that he was who God called him, a mighty warrior. It's hard to see yourself as God sees you when you're in the habit of defining yourself by your worst moments and by your failures, by your mess-ups, by what other people have labeled you. It's hard to see yourself as God sees you, something that you absolutely need to be mindful of in life. Hear me on this. If you haven't heard anything else yet, hear this right here. God's thoughts about you are not the same as your thoughts about you unless you see yourself completely as the beloved of God. Now, if you see yourself that way and that's how you define yourself, then your thoughts and God's thoughts are the same. 
But just because you have your thoughts about you, that doesn't mean that's who you really are. That's what your mind has been trained to think. And we live out of how we view ourselves. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11 to his people, read this with me out loud. You ready? Here we go. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's like, okay, you got thoughts that you, you think you know how I feel about you. Some of you think that God's disappointed with you, that he's tired of dealing with you, that he's impatient with you, or that he's like, come on, get it together, whatever it is. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't know the thoughts that I have towards you. My thoughts towards you, because I have created you, are for a future and a hope. You know, you, some of you, I can feel it right now. You want to argue with me? Say, no, maybe other people, because they're better than me, but I, you, don't, you have no idea God's thoughts about you. He is for you. First step in merging with God's intention for your life in 2024 is to accept my God-given identity. Do not underestimate the power of that. It's hard work to do. Why? Again, because we're in the habit of sabotaging ourselves with our thoughts about ourselves and how we feel God thinks about ourselves. And we're just going to repeat the failure or I won't get it together, whatever else. It's hard work to see yourself as God sees you because we're so used to the other way of living. How do you do it then? Number one, you got to know what God does think about you. And that means you got to get in the word. You need to spend time. What does he feel about me? What does he feel? And then when I get that, I associate that as truth. That is now truth. Whether I'm feeling it or not is irrelevant. There is truth. And now that I know truth, that I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am loved unconditionally. I, I belong to him. When I see that and I get that, I go, that's truth. Now, now, now comes the work of appropriating that into my life and declaring that, and meditating that, and getting that into my behaviors and my value over myself. And that takes deliberate work. So that's the first one. The second thing we've got to do is act in obedience. Everybody say obedience. Yeah, I didn't think you'd say that with a whole lot of strength there, but <laughs> let's say it again. Obedience. 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 All right, here's what God said about Gideon. He said, you're a mighty warrior. Hmm. And then he said, there's a promise, Gideon. I'm going to give you victory over the, your oppressor, which happened to be, in this case, the Midianites. And then, follow me, in the next chapter, we see that victory did come over the oppressor. But in between the time where God said, okay, this is who you are. You're a mighty warrior. I'm giving you this promise. And now here's the fulfillment of this promise. There's this time right here that Gideon had to do a few things. What did he have to do? He had to act in obedience. Just because God intends you to have something or to, to have a, a new virtue in your life, a new experience, just because he intends that for you doesn't mean it's going to happen. We've got a part in this. We've got acts of obedience. First thing God calls him to act upon is him dealing with his past. Let's go back to the idols just for a second. He said, all right, here's what you need to do, Gideon, in order to merge with this destiny I have for you, here's what you need to do. Verse 25, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. These old idols, he was saying, they gotta go. 
They got to come down. In order for you to get what I have for you in store, the old idols, they got to come down. In this story, it says that he was afraid to do that. He was afraid. He was afraid of what his family would do. He was afraid what others would do. And so he did it at nighttime. (laughs) You know, when I read that, I'm like, oh, you know, fear. No, the point is he did it. The point is he did it. He didn't know how it was going to turn out if he tore down those idols. But the point is he obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed even when he was afraid. Why did he obey even though he knew by doing that, I mean, the whole town would be against him. It says later, they wanted to kill him for doing this. Why would he obey God and tear down those old idols when he knew what it would stir up? Why was he able to do that? I think it's because he was sick and tired of being oppressed. I think he was just sick and tired of being oppressed by the enemy. I think he was just at a point where it's like, you know what, I I can't, I don't, I don't want to take it anymore. I'm tired of being in fear. I'm tired of settling for the scraps of life. He was worn out. Why? From a lack of freedom in his life, and he was tired of the addiction, tired of the problem, tired of the oppression of the enemy, tired of this thing coming to him. And he says, I got I to do this, even though I'm afraid, even though I don't know what's going to happen. I need to obey. This is what he did. Do you know that people will act and move in obedience when they're tired? When somebody says, you know, I'm tired of the one-night stands. I'm tired. The, the club is supposed to be the best thing we got going. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of being addicted to drugs. I'm tired of the, the hold that pornography has on my life and the damage it's done in my relationships. I'm tired of being a liar. I'm tired of cheating. I'm tired of stealing. I'm just, I'm tired of it. And when someone wakes up to the cold reality that what this world defines as success really doesn't pay off, then somebody may start getting after obedience. And say, so, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm done being oppressed. 2024, I ain't doing this anymore. No more hiding. No more, I'm tired of this. I want to live. Then that person just might say, you know what, it's time to obey. It's time to tear down some idols in my life that are a part of my past, some things that I've given my allegiance to that are a part of my past, and build up some new ones in my life to God. One of my favorite theologians, he passed away last year, and is a pastor. His name is Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. Listen to this. Um, do we have this on the screen, the quote? I don't know if we do it. No, we don't. Let me read this to you. Pay attention. This is so good. He says, idols. And how many of you know we got idols in 2024? We got, let, me, let me try this crowd over here. How many of you know we got, <laughs> we got idols in 2024? We got them all around us, things that we have given our hearts to, things that we've given our, our souls to and asked that, that thing, whatever it is, career, fame, money, relationships, wh- whatever, <laughs> you know. I'm going to let that go. I'm just going to let that go. Ushers, next time. So we've got things that we've given our hearts to. Say, give me, give me identity, give me worth, give me value. Those things that we're bowed down to, those are called idols in our lives. And, and what, what God was saying to Gideon is they tear them down. You, you, can't, you can't handle the new because you're still clinging to the old. They don't, they don't go together. You can't have both. Listen to what Timothy Keller said. Idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back. 
but they can be supplanted by what? By God himself. But by God, we do not mean just a general belief in his existence. Most people believe that. And yet their souls are still riddled with idols. What we need is a living encounter with God. We don't just pull down the old. We need a fresh encounter with God. And when you choose to accept your identity and you choose to act in obedience and you turn from actions and behaviors in your past and you live your life for God, listen to me, everyone will not be cheering for you. It's not, not everybody is a, at a go, you know, way to go. The townspeople wanted to kill Gideon for messing with their idols. But Gideon obeyed God. And he was not only spared, but he, he became very admired amongst the townspeople. Because his dad, it's a long story, but his dad showed up and said, look, you know, it was the, it was the idol of Baal. If Baal's so strong, then let Baal handle Gideon. Baal never did. And so Gideon kind of got a little famous. First thing he called Gideon to do was deal with the past. Here's the next thing. His act of obedience is about how to start moving forward now, how to start moving forward. God says, all right, you did that. You did what I said. You got rid of that. Now, let's go crush your enemies. Let's go crush your enemies, and I'm going to give you victory. The Midianite army, little problem, 135,000 men of war, 135,000. Gideon, he was able to gather from the the, the scattered tribes of Israel, he was able to gather 32,000 men. So he is way outnumbered, 135,000 against 32,000. What does God say to Gideon? He says, you got too many men. Say what? <laughs> he says, you got too many men in your army. Remember, God is calling Gideon to obey, to do what he says, to obey, learning to obey, because he's teaching him certain disciplines and things about faith that will get him where he needs to go. I have watched so many people over the course of my ministry and life who have experienced and encountered God and they have known forgiveness and they've known his love and they've known community and they're so happy about what God has done in their lives, but they didn't know how to get after the future. They didn't know what to do now. Okay, I'm forgiven. Now what? There was no moving forward. There's no acts of let's, let's move. Let's live on mission. Let's live by faith. What does that look like? How do I live by faith? And because they didn't have the moving forward and taking ground in advancement, guess what happens eventually? They fall back into their old ways. So he's teaching Gideon something here, very important. He's trying to keep that from happening to him and from people. Why? Because God is ecstatic about his people. He loves us, and he doesn't, he doesn't want us just to be forgiven, but he wants us to experience the life that he's planned. So God says, you got too many people in your army, Gideon. Look, Judges chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people this. Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Fight how many? 135,000 these 10,000 were going to fight. Now, I want you to remember, he said, whoever's timid or afraid. Well, who earlier did we read was afraid? Gideon. But what did he do? He acted in obedience anyways. That's what, that's what, our objective is not to not have fear, but not let fear be the thing that makes our decisions. 
And fear be the things that, that drives us. Being fearful, doubting, that's called being human. But as you move into your future, your destiny, do so in obedience, even if you're obeying afraid. The first ones who did not see a victory, who did not see a victory over their enemy, were those who were controlled by fear. Those who were controlled. Now they had 10,000 left to fight. Look at what God says. The Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Gideon said, are you crazy? He should have said that. He said, bring them down to the spring and I will test them. Who? These 10,000. To determine who will go with you and who will not. So when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Let me explain what's going on here. He's saying there's an enemy out there, oppressor out there that's coming your way. He goes, you bring these 10,000 men of war down there, okay? He goes, but I want you to pay attention to how they drink from the stream. The ones who get down, who bring the water up to their mouths and then they drink it, keep them. The ones who put their face down into the stream, they got to go. Why? This is all about awareness. Who's got their eyes where they need to be? And who doesn't? This is about awareness. This is about being ready. This is about self-awareness, number one. You can't, you cannot, you're not going to get freedom over the, the ways that the enemy has oppressed and attacked you in your life if you're not aware that they even exist, if you're living in denial of some real issues in your life. If we're not aware, are you aware? Are you aware if you're tired? Do you aware if you're stressed? Are you self-aware of where you're at, how you're really doing? And then the other thing to be aware of, are you aware of a very real enemy out there? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. But you know who else does? Whether you believe it or not, the devil, the enemy, has a plan. Do you know what the enemy's plan for your life is? I can tell you, it's to keep you out of God's plan. That's what his plan is. He has strategies. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual places. They have schemes and strategies to keep you out. How's he done? Don't answer this out loud. But how's he done in that, keeping you out of God's plans? The enemy has a strategy. And so what he's saying is, Gideon, you got, I only want those who are going to keep their eyes and they're living in an awareness. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, stay alert, stay alert. Another word for that is be aware. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's, that's, the, that's the exhortation to us. He's saying, watch out. Now, I know people who are just way too caught up, and they see devils behind every mishap. Right? Flat tire, devil. Everything, you know? You catch a cold, devil. Right? There's a problem in the marriage. Wife, you know? <laughs> doing whatever else. So they see devils everywhere. They're always seeing darkness. But I, and that's, a, that's an issue. It's really, it's over. It's, uh, you're, you're, not, you're not thinking straight there. But then the ones who concern me more are the Christians who don't even, they don't see the devil anywhere. 
They believe in God, but they don't believe in an enemy. Where'd you get your faith in God? The same book tells you about the, a very real enemy. Those of us who have lived some experiences in life can see and look and go, oh, he's real. About took me out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the admonition is, be aware. He goes, I only want those who are aware, and they're ready to get some victory in their lives. They're ready for it. Third area of awareness, this kind of points to it in the last one, is acknowledge that God is at work through you. How many men were left after drinking from that stream? It says only 300. 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. (laughs) 300 against 135,000. Do you see a common thread in Scripture? You see a common thread in Scripture? It doesn't matter what is standing before you. What matters is who is standing with you. It didn't matter that David was facing this enormous giant that looked like there's no way. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that the widow and her son only had a little bit of flour to eat before they died. It didn't matter that there was an impossible river that they had to cross. It doesn't matter what's standing in front of you, taunting you, telling you, you can't get by me. You're not going to make it. You're not going to get victory. You're not going to last. It doesn't matter what's standing. He's always teaching us this. What matters is who is standing with us. God is saying, me and you are a majority. It doesn't matter what you're up against. It doesn't matter. It's not about how long you've been addicted to that thing, thinking there's no way. I've been 30 years in addiction, the grip of addiction. It matters who's standing with you. It doesn't matter how much, how broken uh, that relationship is or broken your own heart is through trauma that has hurt you in life. I mean, it matters, don't get me wrong. It matters that that happened, but that's not the point. The point is the one who is standing with you saying, there's nothing too big for me. There's nothing. There's not a heart so broken by what life has brought that I can't heal it. It's just, are your eyes on me or are they on that? It's not, there's not an addiction. There's nothing so strong that God says, I got this. This is why he does these things. This is why he scales down an army to 300 people and facing 135. He's like, you don't get it. It might as well be 135 million out there against two. If I am with you, we win. (laughs) I love that about God. And when, when I don't win, Mark, when I look at my life and go, all right, no, I certainly wasn't, there was whatever. I'm not looking at blaming him. I want to look and check myself that I do my acts of obedience. Gideon had to do that. Gideon had to say, this is foolish, but go home. 20,000. Oh, 10,000. We still got, all right, go home. We're going to die. I'm going to die in obedience. I don't get it. He didn't get to see the victory yet. Right now he was in acts of obedience. And that led to that last point that we just finished talking about, acknowledge that God wants to work through you. Judges 6.34 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He clothed Gideon with power. And that's what God wants you to experience this coming year. 
I believe that God wants us to all experience that this coming year, to be clothed with dunamis, it's that Greek word, with power, with his strength, with his might. How does that happen? Number one, believe what he says about you. Get your identity established in what he says about you, not what others or what your past has said about you. What does God say about you? Some of you, I know it sounds silly, but you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, you are perfectly loved. You are perfectly loved. You are forgiven. You are, you are beautiful. You are strong. Why? Not because I'm just doing some self-talk, you know, and that's the, the thing to do. It's because I'm identifying myself by the way that he identifies me. You are a son. You're a daughter of God. Now, Lord, are there any idols I need to take down? That's the hard one, huh? Is there anything that I need to crush? It no longer goes into my world in 2024. That toxic relationship that I know is ungodly, that's hurting me, it's hurting others, it's done. It's got to be done. That, that, that addiction that I have, that whatever, that way of thinking, it's got, I got I to gotta let go in order to move into this year and receive what he has for me. Are you willing to do that? And if not, hey, 25 will come. <laughs> so we'll 26 and 27, and he's going to be patient, but it's another year lost without advancement. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I want to close with this song, Firm Foundation. I want you to listen to the, the, the words. I think we have them on the screen. And it's a declaration. Think about it like this, because I'm going to ask you to engage and sing this song with us, that Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Why? Because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. And for many of us, that's, that's a declaration of faith. That's living beyond our experience and beyond our feelings, and that's a declaration of faith. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare and speak things that have not yet manifested as though they are. Welcome to faith. And I'm gonna make this my declaration as I move into 2024. So would you stand with me? I wanna pray for us, and then let's, uh, let's worship the Lord with this song. Father, I thank you that you stand by your word, that you are a redeemer, God, I pray that we would know a comfort that, and a peace that transcends understanding. We don't escape the, the hardships and the trials. Some of them are, to be honest, our own mistakes, and some have absolutely nothing to do with that. It's life, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and all of these things. There's things that we can control and there's things that we can't control. We can't control what's already happened. We can control right now whether or not we look to you. So I want to invite you this morning to look to him. To look to him. Maybe any anxieties or cares that are mounting up in your soul and in your mind right now, would you just picture yourself just kind of casting them on him? Lord, I give these to you. A child that you're worried about. A relationship. God, I give this to you right now.
I'm not ignoring it, but I need you, so I'm going to give this to you. And then I'm going to look to you, God, for strength. I'm going to look to you for strength. This year, it's going to be different that way. And I'm going to sing this song and declare that you are my firm foundation. I want to invite you into that today, my friends. Invite you into that, to that experience. Let your mouth declare this truth as we sing this. In Jesus' name, amen.